Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment. I'm your host, Sam Corbel. Today, we welcome back Gary Trott for a second episode to talk about Luminaire Manufacturing, where it's been, where it's at today, and specifically, where it's going. Gary, welcome back to the podcast. Your 30 years of experience have certainly got you geared up to start Interplay Lighting here, which you founded just in July of 2019 last year. Let's dive right into what's going on. 3D printing, it's here, it's a real thing. What made you curious enough to say, I think we could build a company around this? Yeah, you bet. So it actually started about 25 years ago, the first time I saw a part being 3D printed on something that probably cost a quarter million dollars. I was just amazed to see this part growing out of this build plate. I was like, that's just, just blew me away. I've always kept my eye on 3D printing and have been intrigued by it. And then when I recently uh, left my left Cree and decided to start my own company, I really took a step back to really kind of understand, okay, the, the genesis of the question, the company we talked about earlier, one of them was, hey, there's not something designed for an open ceiling plan or a, a, a open ceiling structure. So to create that, but also I looked at it, I said, well, what about 3D printing? Is this viable now? So I spent a lot of time researching that to try to understand if it was. And so the cost of printers, I'm talking industrial grade printers, running continuously cranking out parts has come way down into multi-thousands of dollars instead of tens of thousands of dollars. You say, when you say way down, I mean, I feel like I couldn't buy a 3D printer for less than $10,000 to make a pen a couple of years ago. That's right. That's right. And even if you look at consumer, you can buy a $200 printer that's actually pretty darn good. But industrial printers, so that they, the, the prices come down, but another more, just as important, is the evolution of the materials. The material selections that you have for 3D printers is vast. Some printers offer up to 100 different types of materials. So, you know, one of the things that I really was concerned about, because I knew customers would ask, is how durable is this stuff? And ultimately what I found when I did the research is that, hey, it's just plastic. How long, we use plastic and luminaires all the time. So it's just, just an engineering exercise of understanding what are the capabilities of that plastic and will it work? So I looked at those two things together. I was like, well, let's buy a printer and let's play. And and then we started playing. When you started playing with lights, did the, no pun intended, light bulb go off? <laughs> or did you say, okay, this is fun. This looks cool. Now it's really time to get into the weeds. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit in the last episode about how R&D and the process of creating a luminaire hasn't necessarily changed with regard to optics, manufacturing processes, and a, and a team that it takes to pull something off. But there's got to be something going on with 3D printing that's different from everything else before. Absolutely, there is. And the way that we looked at it was there are things you can do in terms of forms that you can create with 3D printers that you can't do with standard injection molding extrusions and things like that. So that was one big thing is like, there's what kind of shapes can we try that you just haven't done before? So let's experiment with that. And you know, the other side of, so that, that's one piece. And then the other side of it is when I left and I started my own company, the other thing that drove me to want to do that is how fast could you move and how creative can you be with a smaller team that's not a part of a publicly traded company and all the constraints that come with that. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course, because they have a certain place in the market and a, mm -hmm. a certain capability and opportunity to deliver on things that 
need to just go everywhere all the time. That's but right. That doesn't lend itself to what you're doing. No, it really didn't. And I just wanted to see. So I've been fortunate to be part of some teams that commercialize some really awesome products. So we started moving towards something a little bit lower volume than I've worked on in the past. And so the first things that we started to play with were literally just printing stuff, different shapes. Like if we're printing a square, let's put different cut ins and outs, cut holes, put um, undulations in it, just play with the 3D nature of it. And literally the way that we thought of it is every single print was a learning experience, even the ones that failed. When I was first learning, there's some key things that you just don't do that I didn't know you shouldn't do. And I would wake up and there'd be a big mess sitting on the print bed, but I still would shine a light behind it. Like, wow, that's really cool. Look at that pattern that happens when this material goes like that. And so call those happy accidents, right? So those, those happen. And then, you know, then you start getting a little bit more disciplined. Once you start to see what sort of things you can do with it and you start to bring into the fold industrial designers and start thinking through, okay, well, how, what can we do if we understand some of the cool things that can happen now, what can we actually do to create a, a, a unique aesthetic or what I like to call luminous structures that do cool things that you haven't been able to do before that, that, that make people say, wow, that's awesome. Wow, that's awesome. I'm looking at three of them sitting on the table right now, and I, I guess maybe we should just take a second. Let's walk through what's sitting on the table right here. Just tell me a little bit about where we're at and where Interplay's at in terms of taking those happy accidents. And, and by the way, you know, every, every print's a learning experience. How many prints do you think you've done at this point? I should do the math because I have a, a, a stack of the spools that we've done. Okay. And, uh, you know, there are, there are lots and lots of them. I mean, I'm getting to the point where I'm almost out of space, right? I don't want to, but I'm going to have to start throwing the early ones away. Shucks. Um, so there are... Send them over. I'll keep them in my basement. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in the hundreds um, for sure. So, so there's a lot. There's a lot there. But these, let's, yeah, let's just get back to the texture yeah, of this real quick. It's, you know, obviously 3D printing is one layer at a time. Mm-hmm. So... When you're looking at these lights, they're printed upside down, meaning the top actually comes out first That's right. and the bottom comes out last. And every single part of this structure is kind of laid on top of itself mm-hmm. by way of the 3D printer. What does it do? How does it take that material and, and create this shape? And what does that look like? Well, you pretty much nailed it. So it takes a spool of filament, which is the plastic, and it, and it pulls it up and into an extruder, which melts it. And it melts it um, at just above its temperature where it gets solid again and then it just lays it right out so it lays this bead of filament out and almost instantly it's hard so it just kind of goes around and around and around and just builds it up layer by layer and so because you're doing it that way you can yeah you can do things that you just couldn't do with a injection molding where you have to pull the tool off of it where you literally some of these parts you if you try to you never could get it out right but, but what we're looking at here is there are, we call them collections. So the cool thing is, is that and what's been fun about this is that we first started and we had the first product that we printed that we said, wow, we have something here. It was really fun because we designed it, we modeled it, we sliced it and we printed it. And we started the print seven or eight o'clock at night, went, went home, went to bed. And next morning, wake up and go and open the doors. Like, and at that moment, I was like, yeah, we got something here. Cause it's there. It's there and it's like, and I knew that was something that hadn't been seen before, hadn't been done before. And it captured that magic of light 
in a way that hadn't been done before. And so that became the start of our first collection. And when we, we're gonna be first showing the products at Leducation um, here in about a month in middle of March. And so we'll be showing somewhere between three or four of our first collections. Those products include a high output pendant, a medium output pendant, and a scotch. So you can do a whole family of that look. And the different collections can give you a different look depending on what your architecture is and what you're trying to accomplish. So a big range, it goes all the way from something that's very minimal with a little bit of character, all the way to something that's a, a real significant statement that just makes your eyes bug out. It's so cool looking. It's cool because uh, you know these things have lines and shapes and curves and there's a corner that seems to rotate in three dimensions, maybe a fourth dimension, because as you walk around it, it also, it appears to move, but there's little fins that are curved and they stick out about, I don't know, a quarter inch and they're a half inch spacing on center across maybe a six foot face that's literally also twisting in three dimensions. Six inch. Excuse me, six inch. That'd be a big printer. Each layer that gets laid down, how, do you know how thick that is? <laughs> yeah, it's about a half a millimeter. Okay. It, it really depends and it's what's a good reference for a half a millimeter oh gosh um like uh if you look at a penny or something like that a penny is probably three millimeters four millimeters yeah yeah it's it's not much okay it's very little bit each time so it's pretty granular it is mm -hmm. and what sort of capabilities i know we've talked a lot about how you can create forms that you can injection mold but what have you found in your experimenting with 3d printing that granularity gives it gives you the flexibility to create so many different shapes that is almost overwhelming and only limited by your imagination. And this kind of came on slowly because we started with a couple of shapes and then I started to wander a little bit and try a different product. And then we had a, a team discussion. It's like, you know, let's let's really study these first three products. What can we do with them? We started thinking about the, all the different types of shapes that we could create and forms. And man, the creativity just flowed. And and it, and literally, we have a backlog of ideas that is is almost overwhelming because I know we'll never get to them all. And it's going to be a very rapid growth of the collections because we're tooling the light engine pieces mm -hmm. and we're designing it in such a way that we can iterate and create these new forms very easily and when you, when you say you're tooling the light engine pieces uh that's basically just the little the led the the driver housing that's right so that anything can essentially snap twist lock i don't know what the right word is but you can you combination can, though yeah you can adapt anything to it so we learned that the thing that i didn't want to take on was electrical enclosures 3d printed it would make it a lot more complicated and we just know that metal works for that right and so, the industry has that available to that's right that's right so a lot of suppliers people have worked with over the years and you know have, have worked with them so i have a question that light right there that's sitting on the table it looks cool mm -hmm. there's a certain factor maybe a, a caliber of printer that you need to to print that yeah a 200 hundred dollar printer isn't gonna do this it won't mm -mm. Is there any opportunity to use the synergy of a super low cost printer in terms of a designer being able to mock something up or, or sketch something out in real time that you see coming onto play? And would they be able to ship that over to you to become a, a, a bonafide product overnight or are there UL hurdles or what, what does that landscape look like? It's a really interesting idea and it is definitely possible. Um, the challenge I think people would have is how do you model it? Because the way that we're thinking of it is kind of getting at the core of what you're talking about, which is 
We want to give the designer more control so that if they have a high rise and there's a certain look they want to have throughout the whole building and they can't find anything in the cookie cutter lighting catalogs that they can come to us and interact with our industrial designers and together um, create a product that specifically for, for whatever their application is. So they can send us a sketch, we could have a conversation, whatever it is. But if somebody was sophisticated enough and they wanted to model it up, and probably most designers might be, could model something up in SketchUp, for instance. The only challenge, it's not a big one, but there are certain parameters. You can't print any shape, right? Sure. You have a lot more flexibility than you have with traditional methods, but you still have constraints. So we just have to kind of keep it within those boundaries. So um, keeping the dream is the dream probably isn't quite there yet. Uh, turning dreams into reality is, is, is definitely happening with 3D printing, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you have to understand constraints. Do you see an opportunity moving forward for 3D printing and manufacturing to change the way that maybe lights show up on a job site? Very well could. So if you look across other industries as a way to kind of understand and see what's happening and where is additive manufacturing being used. So that's the more technical term, right? 3D printing versus additive manufacturing. Additive manufacturing is being used now for digital warehousing. And so what that means is that it's a heck of a lot cheaper for some companies that have a lot of small parts that need to be replaced rather than having 500 of them in a box and they ship out one every couple weeks, they just print it. I've seen examples of manufacturers that put a 3D printer in one of their customers' um, facilities and they can print their parts on demand. That infrastructure is getting built and is, is, is coming. And from the lighting perspective, once the volume starts to increase, you certainly could see that as a potential. Right now, I think, you know, the a, a, a single printer and somebody's office couldn't build a building's worth, right? You need a printer farm for that. But I certainly can see a future where you have a big project and rather than shipping a whole bunch of air across the country, you might have a, a container that has a, a little printer farm in it. You drop it on site, crank all the parts out, ship them, literally walk to the job site, right? So that's probably a little further out, but um, I think that'll happen. The, the other thing is, is that there's no doubt that additive manufacturing is at the beginning of the adoption curve. We're just hitting an inflection point. And is that in lighting or is that across all industries? I think industries? that's across a lot of industries. And a lot of people, I don't think, realize that we're getting to that tipping point. People probably hesitate for two reasons. One is they might look at the relative cost or... Okay, so, so, because really it's viable for architectural products. We're not talking about troughers here, right? Sure. You're not going to be doing that. So that's one concern. But also, there's just a way of working that people have that you start out, it's like, okay, I'm a designer. I design parts for the processes that I know. And designing for something like a 3D printed part is, is a very different paradigm. And, and the other paradigm is people are used to spending their money on tooling. You might spend $250,000 on a tooling a one product. So what's better doing that and having one product or spending that money on a printer farm and you have a massive and unbelievable variety of products. And I think that leads to the inevitable question. If there's one massive printer farm, does every manufacturer have the ability to retain, uh, I don't know, IP, 
Can they, can people share ideas, steal ideas? Does that change the landscape altogether of having six different people who make the same decorative looking low bay or not low bay, mid bay, or, you know, the same linear over and over doesn't matter anymore. Can you just say, I want, you know, company X's design because I have this ceiling condition or company Y's design and everything turns into a licensing model? Am I, am I making thing too, things too complicated here, getting too far ahead of myself? Not necessarily, because initially it's going to be very much like the way that it is today. You have intellectual property, you have patents and, and other things that prevent that kind of thing from happening. More likely than not, what's going to happen with these, that the, the printers will be printing that company's products as opposed to anybody's products. There probably will be, you know, right now there are definitely a lot of 3D printing um, outfits that print parts for others. But frankly, if you look at the, the, the economics, it just doesn't work because they're used to, they're not used to building big and fast because that's, there is actually quite a bit of, I guess you put it more in the trade secret category of the way to get these parts to print the way that you see it. There's a lot that goes into figuring that out and, and it's, it's not easy. Um, so, so there's some of that that would, that would prevent some of that, that crossover as well. But, but there's no doubt it will be easier for people to copy if they're also using additive manufacturing. I mean, how far am I from buying a laser scanner for $30,000 to reverse engineer something straight back to a 3D printer? Yeah, probably not even that. Probably not even that much. Yeah, but again, there's a lot more that goes into it to go from that scan to to the part. Absolutely. So, it, you know, it's not so much... Um, trying to scare me here or what? No. <laughs> hey, you know, Gary, I'm what just... Do you, what do you have in your briefcase there? You don't have a scanner, do you? I don't have a scanner. I don't have anything. I'm I'm really just genuinely curious. And I think that a lot of people that are listening to this or, or may listen to this have the curiosity of what's next in lighting. It's inevitable. Something's going to pop up. Ten years ago, if I told you an LED troffer would have been $89, you would have called me crazy. They were 525 bucks. Mm-hmm. 39 bucks, some of them. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a $19.99 version out there somewhere, right? So 10 years from now, um, what's going to be going on in, in 3D printing in terms of manufacturing is something that's been scaled across a lot of businesses. Or excuse me, I should say 3D manufacturing is something that's been scaled across a lot of different applications. Do you think that there's any applications or industries that have a jump on 3D printing that have been successful that you try to learn from? Where it's being used mostly um, is again, it's really higher end niche applications. Um, and and so, so you can absolutely learn from them. Aerospace, for instance, of course, racing cars, um, but there are also just replacement parts for, well, I'll give you an example. So on my flight out here, there is an issue with the restroom. And so a lot of times what happens with, with a, a fix is if a, they don't have the part there, the flight gets scrubbed. And so what some, I believe it's Air France or Airbus or somebody who they're actually starting to put printers in every pub so that if a little plastic part fails and it's keeping the plane from going up in the air, print that, go fix it. Those are the kinds of examples that you're seeing now. And because that's that's where economics obviously comes into play for all this. And that's it, right. That's and right. It, and it makes a heck of a lot more sense to have a 3D printer to fix the door handle than it does to reschedule 300 people on a flight and give them all hotel rooms and this, that and the other. That's thing. right. That's right. So the economics have 
started to make sense for the lighting industry. And that's exciting because it gives creative people and people who want to push the boundaries of it new opportunities. You're one of those. And you've always kind of been at the forefront in terms of innovating and trying to send this industry. Maybe some people would call it in the right direction. Maybe other people would call it in the curious direction. I'm not really sure. They usually start out saying curious, but later they think it was pretty good. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> it's it's good to be um, ambitious and innovative. What are you doing with Interplay? Tell us just a little bit more about your company. It's, it's brand new. You bet. So... I told you about the products. Yeah. And so now we're at the exciting stage of commercializing. So right as of today, we're going through uh, UL testing. And so we are building towards a product launch or really shipping the first products in May. So it's, it's becoming real. Um, you know, you kind of start out and have the dream and now it's, now it's starting to happen. So out, um, working to find the folks to represent us across the country and also having a lot of uh, great conversations with customers. Starting to get that feedback and and get the interest and excitement. It's really, really exciting to see and feel that because that's the other thing that happens with product development is you spend a lot of time, in this case, about six months, um, really just thinking about this and you keep it inside because you have to be a little careful to not show things too soon. Very gratifying to get it out and start seeing reactions of customers and potential customers as we saw earlier. But the ultimate, what I'm, what I always find the best part is when, call it three, four months from now, I'm walking through an airport, I'm going into a restaurant, and I don't know about the project, and I see the lights that we've developed there, out in the wild, um, doing what they do, creating that harmonious interplay of light, architecture, and people, creating a comfortable and vibrant space that people are just having a great time in. That's the ultimate payoff of product development and what really fires me up. What's next after this initial product launch with 3D printing? Do you develop more products? Do you have bigger print farms? Do you have bigger printers? Mm -hmm. Walk me through what the next 18 months look for you. So it's scaling up and, and slowly increasing the size of that printer farm and the capabilities. And, and really the, the fun thing is, is that we have the ideas of the products that we want to do but we also, a big chunk of our time is gonna be on products that our customers wanna do and come to us with ideas that we can create. And one of the things to look at this is that it's kind of an interesting, we're going through our marketing messaging development now. And so it's like, what is this? So these are functional lights, but they're also high, can be highly decorative. And so one of the things that I've been hearing and what I think is really kind of exciting is that these are certainly can make a statement as decorative lighting, but they're also highly functional. They can deliver meaningful light. They can light a, a, a space on an eight by eight spacing to the light levels that you need. And you have things like zero to 10 volt control, 277 volt. We can, we can fit the big drivers from guys like Lutron and Eldoled that'll give you color tuning. So all these things that oftentimes are a challenge for designers when they're specifying decorative lighting because the function, it tends to be more about the look as opposed to the function. We're trying to balance those two together. So that you have something that looks awesome and have enough different collections that it can integrate and work with many different types of architecture. Uh, but have that functional light, have those options you need for controls so that it can actually be used very easily. Well, combining form and function is certainly something that isn't for the faint of heart. People have thought about it for a long time. 
there's always an opportunity to come and see your products, visit with you, um, see see Interplay at trade shows. But what can people do right away to get more involved and learn more about 3D printing if they're curious? The best way is to buy a printer. They are relatively inexpensive. Get one for a couple hundred, 250 bucks. There's some really basic, easy to use 3D modeling software out there. And so just start building stuff, solving prop, solve problems around your house. I had an issue where I kept knock, knocking the chapstick off my uh, nightstand at night. I made myself a little chapstick holder. Or you can get stuff down, download stuff from um, a lot of online 3D warehouses and make little gifts for people. I made a, a, a baby Yoda for my wife that she just loves that thing. So I printed one of those for her. So just go out and play, experiment. You'll learn about it, get more comfortable with it. And it's a lot of fun. 3D printing isn't something that we have to be scared of. That's cool. Yeah. Te- technology's here and it's good for industrial manufacturing. And it's also good for household chores. That's right. And baby Yodas, right? Yes, exactly. Well, Gary, you know, if it isn't a baby Yoda or a chapstick holder, it might just be a light fixture. Thanks so much for your time. It's been great to catch up with you. Learn more about 3D printing, how it's going to potentially affect the lighting industry but more importantly, what it's doing to support the needs and the requirements of the design community today. Thanks again. I hope you can catch some powder turns before you go back to the sunny South. I would love that. We'll see what we can do. All right, partner. We'll talk to you soon. See you. Great. Thank you. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this podcast, Remember, the best way to stay in the loop is to go back to wherever you listen to this and click follow or subscribe. Never miss a beat with the light pod where we interview fascinating people, dynamic people, and really talk about what's going on in the world of lighting, how problems can be solved, and what might be on the horizon. Until then, cheers. Cheers.